6 o'clock on a Wednesday evening. And it gets dark early. Not only does it get dark early, but it feels like it's getting incrementally colder on the streets of the greatest city in the world. Good evening. My name is Mark Riley, and this is the Mark Riley Program. And uh, Jason Tobinfeld, who keeps us on the path, as it were, uh, I got to let you know, Jason, and I hope the audience doesn't get upset about this. We're going to uh, spend a, a little piece of time this evening talking about marijuana, talking about weed, all right, uh, because there have been some changes in New York City, and uh, not everybody's happy about it. But I just came back from Colorado, where you can go to a dispensary. And, so, and, and by the way, it's easier in, Colo- in Boulder, Colorado, which is where I went, it's easier to get weed than it is to get a cigar. <laughs> How about that? It's a different, different world. But we'll get into that very, very shortly. Because we've got a bunch of other stories uh, that I want to cover for you. You know, because there are times when, uh, you know, y'all are working hard and busting it. And you don't always get a chance to see everything that's in the news. And I try to bring to the table on this program some news that maybe escaped your notice. Maybe even escaped my notice at first. But before we get into that, this coming Friday, November 14th, marks the 22nd year I have been married to the woman who is my soulmate and who I truly love. Kim Jack Riley has helped me in so many ways. I would be here for three hours if I tried to articulate them all. She's my wife. She's my lover. She's my friend. And she's my supporter. So happy anniversary, darling. A a premature happy anniversary, but I get to talk on on the radio. So I, I might as well do it now. You know what I'm saying? Stories, and we have a few. States are racing to improve their health exchanges because open enrollment is just around the corner. I think open enrollment, what is it, the 14th maybe? Or the 15th, or the 14th would be Friday. But uh, the open enrollment period starts very, very soon. And, you know, uh, everybody kind of, I mean, even the president acknowledges that the federal exchange when it rolled out was uh, not the best rollout than anyone's ever seen well states as the enrollment period opens states like massachusetts have increased the number of call center workers which is great because anybody that's ever called any place and waited to speak to a live body you know they only got like two i don't care whether it's an airplane reservation i don't care what it is and they say all our uh what is it oh all our representatives are, are dealing with other customers. Yeah, all your representatives, you got two. Okay, but at least Massachusetts and Minnesota have in, increased the number of call center workers. Colorado, where I just was, has created an online avatar named Kyla to guide consumers through the sign-up process, which would have been really good. I mean, I know that they tried to do that with the federal exchanges when they first rolled it up, but it didn't work so good. Uh, and Maryland replaced its exchange with Connecticut's model, which is uh, arguably more successful. Now, I got to tell you, the federal ACA is confusing. State ACAs or state health exchanges, only slightly less so. I know this is a fantasy. I know a lot of people think, ah, he's talking out of, yeah, I know. But if Barack Obama could wave a magic wand and do one thing between now and the end of his presidency that would positively impact the lives of ordinary Americans, get rid of all of this exchange stuff, wave goodbye to the uh, uh, insurance companies, let them let them insure something else, let them insure flood damage or something, and create Medicare for all, which would essentially be a single-payer health system. And I'm not talking about Part B and Part C and Part D and this one. And that only pays 80%. Medicare for all. I don't know how the Republicans could oppose it, to be honest with you. I'm sure they'll find a way. But, uh, you know, it would really kind of clear up all of this confusion. You know, because, I mean, I was reading stories a couple of weeks ago that said, well, you know, there are some people 
that have signed up for the under the Affordable Care Act, and the government's coming to them and asking for their money back. Now, that's absolutely crazy. That is somebody that doesn't know I'm on the air right now, but that's okay. Uh, you know, asking for money back from poor people, for God's sake. You want to ask for money back from somebody, ask, ask for money back from some, uh, some crooked banker or something. Don't ask for money back from people who are barely scratching out a living. That's, uh, for me, that's one of the great injustices of American life as we know it today. Uh, people can plunder and pilfer and create all kinds of false instruments, banking instruments I'm talking about now, and uh, yeah, they, they, they don't even miss a tea time. But when it comes to a poor person that thought they might get some health insurance under the Affordable Care Act, all of a sudden, they, uh, uh, you didn't, you didn't pr- produce the proper documents. You got to give the money back. Give the money back? We were paying. <laughs> well, it's another, another point for another day. But as we talk about medicine, let us salute and say thank the creator that Craig Spencer, the Ebola patient here in New York City, who has recovered, went home the other day. Mayor de Blasio gave him a hug. The people who treated him at Bellevue gave him a hug. It was a kumbaya moment, if I ever saw one. But for me, the most important thing about Craig Spencer recovering and leaving the hospital is something that he said. You know, and a lot of times we we don't always pay that close attention to what somebody like Craig Spencer, who I consider to be a hero, and that other woman, Katie Hickox, same thing. I feel bad she had to leave her her home state. But here's what Craig Spencer had to say. Uh, And by the way, um, unlike some people who go through this kind of thing and then want to sell their life story to the, you know, to the highest bidder. Craig Spencer says he's not messing with the media anymore after this. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's really, really fabulous. Shows a, a, a man in my judgment of principle, but he said, uh, that the real emphasis ought to be, on dealing with Ebola in Africa, which is what he was doing. You know, he's part of Doctors Without uh, Borders. And uh, again, a wonderful, wonderful uh, organization. And one that I thought got slammed. And and I said this the other week. Jason, did I say this the other week? About how there were people talking about how selfish these people were. Hey, he went bowling. Oh yeah, she said. What's the problem? She said she's just being quarantined. Come on, man. Come on. But I said that before, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna repeat myself forever. But I hope that people pay close attention to Craig Spencer saying, "Look, we need to deal with Ebola at its source," and I emphasize at its source. Now, this is a story that, uh, you know, Jason, I guess this just gets my goat, man, because I, I, I don't, I have not lived my life among people who I know are domestic abusers. Okay. I just have never lived my life around people like that. I mean, I, I've lived, lived my life around people who argue with their spouses, may divorce their spouses, may cheat on their spouses. But I they, they never lived with nobody beat up their spouses. Well, it's so bad in New York City. Domestic violence is so bad that the shelter population has skyrocketed because there's just no other options. Women who are leave, you know, they leave their batterers, whether it's a boyfriend or, you know, in worst case scenario, a live-in boyfriend uh, or a husband or whatever. Or a wife. And New York Times just uh, wrote a story about this that just like totally, totally sort of freaked me out a little bit. Because, you know, when I read stories in the news, I try at times to put myself in the position of the people who are, God forbid, making news. Okay. 
And I cannot imagine the terror, the terror that a, a, a domestic abuse victim must feel. Walking past where they used to live, walking in their old neighborhood and constantly having to look over their shoulder and then having to live in a shelter because there's no place else. Here's what the Times says. Having walked away, victims of, of abuse are often left with no place to live and little means of support and frequently end up homeless. In New York, this has helped drive the shelter population to a record high, with more than a quarter of all families in shelters citing abuse as the cause for their stay. Abuse? Abuse? God. You know, uh, Mayor de Blasio, and, and rightly so, created this whole Vision Zero thing to try and reduce the number of traffic fatalities and traffic injuries on the streets. That's why if you do over 25 miles an hour on a lot of streets in New York, you're going to get a ticket eventually. And that's all good. But how about we start looking at Vision Zero as regards domestic abuse? And I'm going to say this, and maybe not everybody agrees with it. But if those of us who are not abusers in any way, shape, or form, if we sit back and don't react to the fact that a quarter of all, of all the women in shelters say they're there because they were abused, that's on us. We live here. We work here. We exist here. We call this the greatest city in the world. It's not the greatest city in the world for somebody who's getting hit upside their head every day. It's not. And how about we do something about it? Uh, and, and by the way, you know, part of the problem, and, and the Times article points this out. Uh, women who are abused, if they're running around filling out apartment applications, it's not all that difficult for their abuser to get wise to that. You know? Uh, and and the, the, the tools to keep families from becoming homeless uh they don't work if the woman and their ch and her children have to leave an abusive situation we got some of the most brilliant people in the world living in this city brilliant brainiacs geniuses how about we get them all together we sit them down and say listen fellas ladies <laughs> because i don't want to just make this a man or a male obligation Folks, how about that? That's better. Folks, what are we going to do to make domestic abuse so unacceptable in a civilized society that people will think twice about doing it because of the consequences? Now, I must say, back in the day, the one thing that would stop a domestic abuser is if they knew the victim had a brother or a couple of brothers or three brothers. And, you know, when I was young, very young, somebody went upside a woman's head. Next thing you know, you got three gargantuan guys walking down the street, going to the dude's house. And, and by the way, not saying a whole heck of a lot, just wailing on the guy. Not so much now. People are being made to face this kind of abuse alone can't move in with family can't rely on family to have their back we got to do something about this folks this is just like crazy uh hey jason you remember a few weeks ago i said that one thing that that the obama administration could do to try and maybe deal with isis and we're going to get back to this would be to, to get hackers to disrupt their... Okay, so there's an article by the Associated Press about a guy named... Uh, what is his name? Jeremy Hammond. Uh, yeah, Jeremy Hammond, who I think is pretty well known in the hacking community. And Jeremy Hammond is doing 10 years in the joint uh, because he, he, he hacked a lot of stuff, <laughs> okay? Uh he said, and he did an interview, said, from the start, I always wanted to target government websites, but also police and corporations that profit off government contracts. I hacked a lot of .govs. So, I mean, and the guy apparently started when he was very young. All right. 
How about you go to Jeremy Hammond and say, yo, listen, we'll cut your 10-year sentence down to mm, time served. If you can successfully hack ISIS or anybody that does business or supports ISIS, hack into their legitimate businesses and take them down. Make it difficult for them to do what they do. Expose them to the world. Think he'd do it? And by the way, if you think, well, you know, he might try and do something and then, you know, go back on it or whatever. Yo, if you ever get caught hacking after your sentence is done, you'll come back, you'll finish your original sentence, we're going to tack 20 more on. So you'll be like an old, decrepit man by the time you get out the joint. I bet you could convince a guy like Jeremy Hammond to do something like that. What do you think, Jason? I think this is something we could, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. But then, you know, I, I, I'm, people say I'm a little whack. But I would, I, I argue that, hey, if you want to start dealing with these folks, because, you know, the, all that bombing and say, yeah, I'm bombed ISIS out of existence. That hasn't worked. But people know, around the world people know, that ISIS is getting money from somebody or something or some group of people. Make their life a living hell. Make them think twice about supporting an organization that beheads people and and oppresses everybody that disagrees with them in the name of religion. It's an obscenity. And I say, hey, you know what? You can bomb them if you want and think you're going to win, but it's going to take more. It's going to take smarts. It's going to take effort. And, you know, uh, Jeremy Hamm is not the only one. He's the only one doing 10 years in the joint right now. But there's a bunch of different people that are involved in this. And by the way, Jeremy Hammond at one time was the FBI's most wanted cyber criminals, serving one of the longest sentences that a hacker has ever received. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Come back to that maybe a little bit later. Right now. You know, and, and uh, hey, is that uh, is that Bounty Killer that did that song? Give me the weed. I forget who it was. Uh, or, Beanie, yeah, I think it was either Beanie Man or Bounty Killer. Uh, and every time I, I read a story in the paper about, you know, the conniptions that everybody's going through around a very simple thing, which is to issue summonses for possession of small amounts of marijuana as opposed to arresting people, uh, I keep thinking of that song. Because it, it seems to me so simply the right thing to do. Joining us to discuss this and much, much more, the distinguished publisher of the New York Amsterdam News, Ms. Eleanor Tatum. Eleanor, how you doing? I am well, thank you. And what was that you were just saying, Mark? Huh? I what said, did I just miss that you were saying? I said the distinguished publisher of the New York Amsterdam News. No, I'm talking about before that when you were talking about marijuana. Oh, I was talking about the song, Give Me the Weed. Is that what you want? No! No, don't, don't start that. <laughs> see, see, I fell into your trap, Eleanor. I'm not going to do that for the rest of this interview. How you been? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great, doing great. So, Good Eleanor, um, certainly the people that read the Amsterdam News, not all of them because I'm not going to, you know, uh, stereotype anybody, but there are people who read the Amsterdam News who have had the experience of getting arrested for possessing small amounts of marijuana. What is the community that the Amsterdam News serves saying about this change in policy, which the cops seem to think is, uh, uh, you know, just letting lawbreakers walk away clean? Well, the fact of the matter is that so many people in in our community have gotten caught up in the criminal justice system because of very, very small amounts of marijuana. So um, I think it's really has the possibility of changing um, what our penal system actually looks like because so many of our young people get caught up in this and, you know, may get caught with a little bit of caught once, twice, even three times and end up actually going to jail for it. Um, And so now when it's not going to even, you know, when it's not going to have that same kind of legal repercussions, um, I think there are going to be a lot of young people that are going to um, be able to 
not go through that criminal justice system the way that they have been going in the past. Oh, yeah. And I mean, when you talk about going through the criminal justice system, you're talking about a stain that can prevent them from getting a college loan, from getting a job further down the road. There's a lot of stuff that you don't think about when you get busted for a small amount. And then, you know, you get a public defender saying a cop a plea. You plead guilty to something. And next thing you know, there's a bunch of things you can't think about doing. But Eleanor, I, what, what is perplexing me about this is why law enforcement seems to be so vehemently against this. And, and in a really twisted way, and I think this is done with the assistance of some in the media, they seem to be kind of kind of blaming Al Sharpton for all of this stuff. Well, What's going know, on here? To, they're going to try to blame Al Sharpton for anything they can blame Al Sharpton for, even though it has nothing to do with him. And, and we know that. Yeah. Um, but the, the fact is that... Um, so law enforcement has used this as a tool for reasons to stop people and reasons to try to find other things that are going on with them versus using it as an actual tool to, to stop marijuana use or anything else like that. Mm-hmm. So they've been they're I guess they're afraid that um, they have one less reason why they're allowed to to basically infringe upon people's civil rights. <laughs> but, you know, Ellen, that's the that's perplexing thing about this. Uh, study after study after study says that racially speaking, whites consume more weed than black people do. Yet the overwhelming number of people who get busted for weed are black people and Latinos. What? What? If they if they want to even everything out, why not? Why just not go stop some white weed smokers? Because they're not looking for it in the white community. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, if you just think about it, they're just stopped. White folks are stopped much less than black folks are, and that's just that's just the way it is. We've all seen that. We know that this is something that is just that's the way it is, and so that's why it affects our community so much more. But now, uh, could you envision in your wildest dreams a police department that applied whatever law regarding marijuana possession? Evenly, based on race. Wait, can you repeat that? In other words, evenly. Yeah. In other words, uh, (laughs) when when, at the end of the day, the numbers for blacks, the numbers for whites, the numbers for Latinos are all relatively proportionate. What world is that? (laughs) Not mine. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Could you envision? A police department that could do it. because theoretically they should be able to do that theoretically yes but we also know that that's just not reality and that's why this has such a, a huge effect on our may have such a huge effect on our community yeah yeah what do you make of ed mullins the head of the sergeant's benevolent association saying that this relaxation of the law will actually hurt minority communities um, I'd love to know what studies he's looking at. He's not looking at any studies. Well, that's why I'd love to know what studies he's looking at. <laughs> I mean, because people like to make up stuff when it suits them. Why do you think it suits them? Uh, you know, I I mean, I look, I get the fact that uh, the way the police in this city have been allowed to operate for a, a pretty long time now, because, you know, the, the state legislature essentially decriminal, decriminalized weed years ago. But um, the police have that trick of saying to somebody, well, empty your pockets. And then, of course, if there's weed in it, it's in plain view, and then they can arrest them. Is this just a way to pump up arrest numbers? Um, Well, you know, they've used that as a great way to bump up arrest numbers, and they've used it continuously. And um, this is going to definitely put a damper on those numbers. And, um, I mean, I'm really wondering what the Comstat meetings are going to look like after this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, too, um, whether or not the police will find or seek to find some sort of loophole that would allow them to conduct business as usual. What do you think? Well, you know, they'll, if it's not one thing, there'll be another. They're always going to find some way to make sure that our kids get locked up. That's just the way it is. But I, Unfortunately. I, is, is everybody powerless to change this? I mean, we got a, a majority on the city council are people of color. You got a pretty substantial number of people in the legislature are people of color, and, and they can't do anything. Well, you know, again, it's not just whether or not they can do anything; it's whether or not the culture has changed enough to make it stick. 
And we have to change the culture of the police department. We've got to change the culture of the penal system. We've got to change the culture of this city and this country to say that our kids don't belong behind bars, but they deserve an education and they deserve to be able to be productive members of society without having these barriers to it. Eleanor, there's a couple of places, and I just came home from one just the other day, where marijuana smoking for recreational as opposed to medicinal use is completely legal. Do you think New York, by decriminalizing the way uh, uh, the city is talking about doing, uh, and I think it goes into effect November 19th, do you think that the city is taking one baby step toward complete legalization? Um, you know, it may be the first step to legalization, but, uh, you know, I don't know if the legislature will ever go that far. Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Colorado's not the most liberal state in the country. They went that far. Well, in some ways they are very liberal, in other ways they're very conservative. I, if you look at the way Colorado has been run, they, there have been a lot of progressive things that have happened there, as long as you're not talking about guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's for sure. So if you were a gambler, and I know you're not, would you bet money? You know, because there are people that work down in the financial district, Eleanor, every day that are trying to figure out how to make big money off legal weed. Um, if, you were, if you were a gambler, would you gamble that those folks are going to make the kind of money they think they're going to make? Oh, yeah. I mean, there is so much, there is so much money in legal marijuana sales. There is so much money in it, and um, I think um, I think they'll make even more than they think they'll make. Really? <laughs> what about the city? I mean, the the city has a stake in this. The city could, you know, I, I would assume they <clears throat> they could make more money taxing weed than they can issuing uh, what is it, a couple hundred dollar summonses every every so often. Why don't they just uh, go with the flow? Well, because you've got some people that are against it, some people that are for it, but I mean, it's going to take a while before they're able to completely decriminalize it and, and make it legal. If right. ever. Eleanor Tatum, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care, Mark. Take care now. Eleanor Tatum, the publisher of the New York Amsterdam News, which hits newsstands tomorrow. You know, I, I, I read a very interesting take on this whole weed debate because... Uh, Florida is currently wrestling with what they're going to do about marijuana. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I don't want to misspeak about this, but they may have actually had a ballot on the last uh, uh, during the last midterm election. And uh, if, I'm not sure if it was Florida, but somebody by a very narrow margin voted uh, legalization down. But uh, I don't know how many. Do you remember Luke Skywalker? Uh, Uncle Luke from, yeah, from, from Tula. Well, you know, he does a blog down in Florida because he's never left Florida, you know. And he wrote a blog not that long ago that said essentially, look, uh, if Florida ever does make it legal, the black entrepreneurs, I don't know whether people want to call them entrepreneurs, but the black folks that have been selling relatively small amounts of weed are going to be frozen out of the business while all these other folks are going to make a whole boatload of money and the black people on the street level who've been doing their business for God knows how long, some of them, are going to be out of luck. You think that's a legitimate point to make? I don't know. I'm, I'm not so sure, you know. Uh, but uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to explore this a little further. And I want to hear from you at 888-874-4888, 888-874-4888. We are joined now by editorial board member and columnist for the New York Daily News for a slightly different perspective on weed, Mr. Harry Siegel. Harry, how you doing, buddy? Harry, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you fine, man. How you doing? Man, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent, doing excellent. Now, you, you wrote, did you write a column the other day about weed? I did, I did. Um, there's this big shift in New York. You may have just been talking about it, and uh, uh, you know we're, we're going to stop having these uh, these petty uh, these petty arrests for uh, possession, apparently. And I said, well, you know, that's a nice start. Um, why don't we start talking about legalization in that case? Aha! Uh -huh. You're a liberal doper. Is that <laughs> no? <I'm only> <laughs> but Harry, I, I mean. Uh, has the response from the police department, in particular Ed Mullins from the uh, Sergeant's Benevolent, has that surprised you at all? 
Um, Ed, Ed Mullins has a contract coming up, and for a whole number of reasons, he's decided everything de Blasio does is lousy and unacceptable, and uh, and, and that they're going to complain and complain. They're actually talking, exclusive in the Daily News today, about a work slowdown in response to this, which is insane. Uh, yeah. so, I mean, the police department cops, uh, there's policy, and then, then you execute it. That's the deal. Uh, you, you don't get to have a slowdown if you don't like the policy. That that's uh, that's insulting and, and borderline insane. But Harry, uh, he doesn't think he's going to get a better contract by talking this smack, does he? I I. I I, I'm honestly at this point a little perplexed what what him Lynch like the uh, the, the union leadership is thinking. They, they seem the same guys who were furious at the last administration for having a numbers based approach are now furious at this one whose watchword is discretion instead of uh, churning arrests. So so it, it seems to me like, like like right now beat cops at the union level are are uh, are, are just all about opposing everything. And um, and have sort of lost their serious seat at the table at the uh, big boy table. But now, Harry, um, there is this question, I guess, about uh, whether or not uh, arrest statistics will change drastically, and therefore maybe affect beat cops in terms of, of, of future opportunities and promotions and that sort of thing. Uh, well, we still yeah. do have some results-based stuff going on here. So, so a bunch of the the complaining about this seems to be first off that that the, uh, the, the narcotics cops like they turned a lot of overtime off these arrests mm-hmm. and they actually sort of divvied that up so everyone ended up with about the same good overtime at twenty hours or so every week mm-hmm. uh, and you can't do that if it's a summons and you don't get that check that well, like comes with an arrest that's useful for your career so so it's sort of frustrating for the, for the police who've been at the uh, forefront of turning these arrests and have been profiting nicely from them. Um, I think that that is something to do with the uh, uh, with the objections from the uh, from the unions, but it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like uh, stopping people with, with tiny amounts of weed is not a productive way of getting at guns or any bigger crime. It's just sort of a something that seemed to uh, center in, in, in black and brown and poor neighborhoods and, and and screw up lives for a lot of people. Harry, I, I, I asked our previous guest Eleanor Tatum yep. uh, about whether you know why it seems as though. In some areas, people are looking to tie all of this stuff, and I mean this just being the latest, to Al Sharpton. What has Al Sharpton got to do with the change policy on weed? Not all that much, I would say. But look, Sharpton has uh, has, has de Blasio's ear in a big way. They've mm-hmm. both been very open about that. Sharpton keeps putting out these these unintentionally hilarious releases about his influence. Like he put one out when there was something else happening with the department involving the number two slot, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I received a call from Mayor de Blasio as I was consulting with President Obama about this. You know, so so that's called building your brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he's done a great job of that, and and the guy the guy has sway. And look, the, the uniform police are never going to trust this guy. This is a dude who, when he was doing his FBI informant thing, my whole theory is got out of this by in the Tawana Broly stuff pointing to an, an ADA um, in, in Westchester and, and saying that this is one of the rapists, well, which turned out to be totally false. Well, that was actually Broly, Duchess, though, wasn't Sharpton. it? Wasn't that Duchess? Uh, it was Duchess, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this is a guy who, 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 like, law enforcement people are never, ever going to trust or forgive. Uh, whatever his instincts are now, whether he's right or wrong. And so seeing him consulting with the mayor, sitting there next to the mayor and the commissioner, it makes, it makes their heads want to explode. Mm. Um, that said... That said, this policy, like, like, like leaving Sharpton's intrinsic morality aside, seems like a fairly obvious shift for the better. And it's notable that both tabloids offered conditional support, since, since we both tend to be Center-right. you know, reflexively <laughs> sympathetic with the police. Yeah, I, and I found it interesting. Uh, both, but you're right, both tabloids did uh, do editorials that, that were you know, cautiously optimistic about this. Uh, what do you make of Ed Mullen saying that this change in policy will end up hurting minority communities? Uh, I, that one kind of made me scratch my head. There, there is a case by which it might, but but uh, Mullins, I, I think, I, I think has descended into incoherence, frankly. So it made me scratch my head too. <laughs> I, I mean, the concern is that, that unlike arrests, summons aren't well tracked. And the Times had had a very intelligent editorial about this. Um, Errol Lewis is writing something for us tomorrow on, on the same. Like you actually don't get to see, um, you, you don't know the, the racial breakdown break yeah. process. Yeah. You don't know how many of them end up getting outstanding warrants and arrested. So you're putting all these numbers, which, which as they've come out has sort of created tremendous pressure on the department going back to the last few years under Bloomberg and Kelly to shift approaches mm-hmm. and, and suddenly you're, you're, you're black boxing all the data 
So, yeah. so, so obviously, a, 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 a ticket and a waiter court appearance is much better than locking people up and giving criminal records and all that. But um, tracking how this process plays is going to be a lot more complicated than it had been. And you're in this weird half-pregnant state now because we're finally uh, respecting this 1977 law that decriminalized possession, like fully respecting it. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Kelly sort of did this uh, a couple of years ago, right? Um, and he just put out a thing like, hey, stop making these bogus arrests where you get people to turn out their pockets and then say your weed was on public display. Yeah, the menu. Uh, the but memo, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, was a t- it wasn't a memo. It was like a tiny notice. Mm-hmm. Now, Braddon's put out, understandably, a five-page thing. So, so, so having an actual policy for how this works, you know, is it, actually very complicated, right? Like, what if a dude had just been smoking, but as the cop approaches, uh, stubs it out? What if a guy is high out of his mind, so you know he's just been smoking? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you supposed to deal with that? Like, like circumstance by circumstance, having a policy, and you still have to book the weed every time, because it's, it's not like booze, we can just pour it down the drain. Yeah. So it's illegal, and we don't really want to deal with it, but we have to do all this stuff, and it's still going to be sort of a drain on resources, and there's surely going to be some complicated marginal case where some kid's going to say, well, I was just holding these 30 pre-roll joints, and the cops are going to say they were selling, he was selling, or he yeah. just been smoking, and then all that's going to have to get uh, played out. It just, it, it, seems, it seems marginal to me. I, I, I personally have the belief that this would be a fine time to lift this economy above ground, to have the Marlboros of the world, I think Uncle Luke is 100% right here, mm-hmm. like knock out all the small street hustling guys who made money off this and start start collecting real tax revenue instead of the, the, the actually much smaller and going to come in well below projected casino revenue, which to me is a, is a real sin. Oh, I, you know, I, don't get me started about casinos. Our guest oh, is Harry Siegel. He's an editorial board member and columnist at the New York Daily News and a good friend. Harry, let me ask you this. Uh, there have been some people who've reacted to the uh, 25 gram thing. Now, 25 <laughs> gram, if memory serves, is almost an ounce, ain't it? Or maybe yes, a little sir. more. Yes, uh, that, yeah, 28 is an ounce. Uh, I don't know how Jason Tobinfeld knew that. <laughs> but no, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> but uh, uh, you, you know, uh, almost an ounce of weed is a lot of weed, no? Yep. And and since 1977, weed has gotten considerably more potent. Oh yeah. So 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 like the weed you need to uh, um, to the uh, roll or to put in a pipe or whatever. I mean that's that's a ton of weed. Um, I almost wonder if you you, you might want to potency uh, you know like like an inflation base adjust this law. It, it, it's a lot. And you had the the hilarious scene with uh, with Commissioner Braddon holding up his his big oregano bag <laughs> and saying. This is what a guy's just going to walk down the uh, uh, walk down the street with. He's not he's not to be bothered. Um, it, it, it is in fact a sort of strange uh, threshold for that. On the other hand, if you're a guy who's not doing anything else criminal, and, and you're, you're say like uh, or a gal, and you're taking your pot over to your boyfriend's, mm-hmm. uh, do you, do you really need to get arrested? Interesting question, uh, and one that you know you can look over decades and, and ask. That's for sure. Now, uh, Harry, you talked about legalization. And I get a sense that that underneath a lot of this stuff is a knee-jerk fear of legalization. I was just in Colorado over this past weekend, in Boulder, as a matter of fact, where it's easier to find a marijuana dispensary than it is to find a cigar store, which, last I checked, is legal. And that, that holds true for L.A., where it's not legal, but they have very easy medical marijuana. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, in Colorado, particularly in Boulder, so, you know, it's like, if you want to smoke, go ahead and do your thing. They've opened up all these head shops with 50 million bongs and, you know, the whole nine yards. Is there, do you think there's a downside with legalization? I mean, I, I'm not going to say New York is going to turn into Boulder. I actually like Boulder a lot. <laughs> but uh, is, there, is there a possibility that, that young people will get exposed? That, that, oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, pe- people are going to drive while they're high, and that's really hard to test for. Kids are going to end up eating edibles. Even if you restrict the market for them, people are going to make them. There's all sorts of downsides. Um, I, I just think that they, they pale in comparison to, uh, to the criminalization culture we've, we've developed around this stuff over the last 40 years now. But um, uh, there, there will absolutely be costs as well as benefits to, 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 to legalizing it. And then, you know, some people don't don't handle it well, just like anything else that you can use or abuse, including uh, alcohol, uh, gambling, food. 
Um, so, so I think there, there are significant and legitimate downsides. I think it's actually healthy that other states are doing this first, and we get to watch their model and like figure out what, what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Like, no point yeah. in being a pioneer here. <laughs> Harry, uh, you brought up the question of alcohol. And I've always been very curious about the, the kind of dichotomy in this society between drinking, which was prohibited for, what, 15 years, maybe, uh, and, and weed, which, by the way, right at the end of Prohibition was when, uh, uh, you know, Reefer Madness came. I think it was three years after the end of Prohibition, Reefer Madness came out, and the country got scared to death for 80-something years. Almost. What's the difference? What do you see as the difference between alcohol and marijuana? Uh, um well, well, uh, 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 marijuana doesn't doesn't screw up your uh, kidneys, um, <laughs> and, and doesn't directly kill anyone. I think is the uh, is the big one, and less people are violent on it. Uh, you know that said, in part because of this prohibition and because it's been a, a, a Schedule A uh, controlled substance, uh, I'm sure that there, there's downside. There, there may well be downsides. We'll find out if more people are using it more 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 widely, and if we get to a point where. Uh, People can be entirely open about that, you know. Even in states where it's 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 allowed now, like employees can still employers can still test for it. You know, yeah. It's a little like gay marriage in that sense. Like doing stuff at the state level is actually sort of complicated and not the same as truly allowing it. Yeah, very true. And I mean, I, you know, my daughter went on a tour of the University of Colorado, and uh, they they tell you right up front, look, it may be legal in Boulder, but it ain't legal here. And if you, if you get caught, you're going to be subject to sanction, just like if, you, if you're an underage drinker. Because theoretically, the age in, in California, uh, California, Colorado is 21. Right, right. So, uh, you know, most college kids are not 21. So they're not allowed to have it on campus. Even if there's a medical situation, they cannot keep it in their dormitory rooms. I, I, I mean... I've been thinking a lot about colleges and what they can and can't do. It's a weird situation because we don't have in loco parentis. These people mm-hmm. are nominally adults. Nobody thinks they're really adults. You know, we now have all these special sort of sort of sex assault courts and setups for for kids in school. Just sort of screwed up if you're a 19 year old and not in school in the same circumstance. But everyone's everyone's faking their way their, their way through this. Um, with with pot in particular, you know, if if I'm a college administrator. I'd rather not have any of this stuff. It causes a lot of complications and issues. I think mm-hmm. the counter concern are schools that, that, that are serious about avoiding all this end up uh, being deserts in certain ways and not appealing to some students. So, so you know, you Chicago, um, where, where there's like two bars. It's actually hard to underage drink. They don't have ragers. It's not a drug culture. Uh, this severely limits like the cross-section of students who, who want to go there, just given how many students are, in fact, paying or, or rather having their parents pay for, 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 for four years of, uh, of you know, pretend adult life and, uh, and, and mild sinning. Wow. Well, I, you know, I'm sorry to say that if you've got a, a daughter who's looking right now, but uh, well, she's she's not just looking at Colorado; she's looking around at other places. Um, but she, I mean, she really loved Colorado, and it had nothing to do with weed. It's a beautiful, you know, it's a beautiful city, Boulder. Yes, my, um, my mother went there for two years. She thought she was going to take up skiing, did it, and then, then eventually left. But she, she loved it. Yeah, yeah, it's a gorgeous place. Harry, always great to talk to you, and much appreciated. And and please stay in touch. Mark, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, you take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Harry Siegel, editorial board member and columnist for the New York Daily News. 888-874-4888 is our number. You know, we're not done yet, y'all. We got 16 minutes, and I'm going to make uh, the most of all of it. Can we take a short musical break there, uh, Jason, and come right back? Stay here. Quarter to seven. 
Uh, we got about 15 minutes left to the program. Uh, if you're going out tonight, dress warmly because it feels like the temperature is dropping. I, I mentioned that we were out in Colorado. Over the weekend, it was 70 degrees. That's 7-0. We woke up this morning, looked at a weather map on one of the channels. It was 5, <laughs> okay? 48 hours and a drop in temperature of about 65 degrees. And it's like that all over the country. They say that this cold front is going all the way down to the Texas panhandle or something. So be careful. Arizona. Hey, Jason, you ever been to Arizona? You have? Uh, you know, I've never spent any time there. Not any serious quality time there. But Arizona is a very strange place. Because there's a particular type of Americanism that goes on in the state of Arizona. Loves the Constitution so much, and this is according to our friends at the Wonket, loves the Constitution so much it has to ignore the Constitution. It's yet another exp uh, case of Americans being Americans when they feel like being Americans. Now, uh, Jan Brewer, remember her, the one that sold the wolf tickets to the president on the tarmac? Well, he's getting ready to come out of there. She's getting ready to leave office. She's going to be the former governor soon. And then there's that guy, Joe Arapaio from Maricopa County. Uh, and, and of course, Arapaio would lock you up for a minute if you were an undocumented worker. But for other stuff, psh, not so much. So, you know, Arizona thinks that it does a better job and knows a lot more about how to secure the border than the feds do. At least the feds Barack Obama, president, those feds. I, I don't know they kicked this much when George W. Bush was president, but that's a whole other question for a whole other day. So uh, first, and there are two developments on this, another immigration law in the state of Arizona was struck down in federal court. It was a 2005 law against smuggling migrants uh, because enforcing immigration law, of course, is a federal, repeat, federal responsibility. And because federal law treats immigration as a civil matter, while the law in Arizona criminalized it. Uh, Sheriff Joe, by the way, at one point charged 2,000 undocumented migrants with conspiring to smuggle immigrants. That being themselves. <laughs> I don't know how they use, I don't know how they do this, but, they, you know, they do. Uh, he abandoned that strategy after a lawsuit last year. So uh, they also approved an, uh, an initiative that amended the Arizona Constitution to give state officials and voters the power to nullify federal laws just as long as they truly believe that those federal measures are unconstitutional. Now, how deep is their valley here? <laughs> or how deep is, the, is their belief? I don't know. It's whack is what it is. And this is a measure, by the way, that's called Prop 122. It would withhold funds and state staff from carrying out federal programs if they are deemed unconstitutional by lawmakers in the state of Arizona or voters. Really? So states now, and, and by the way, this is not new, but states now can just like ignore federal law. We've got our own way of doing things here. <sighs> you know, okay. Oh, okay. Let me say good evening to my good friend Harriet from Bayside. Hi, Harriet. How you doing? Hi, I'm fine. Um, I wasn't able to get your program yet last week. You know, that, that, that was going around. Apparently there were some problems last week. My wife couldn't get the program last week, and she listens oh. religiously. Yeah, so do I. Anyway, I wanted to say a few things about the election. Ah, uh, yes, the election. By the way, the state Senate is now back in Republican hands here in New York. Of course it is. Because if anybody trusted our dear governor to keep his promise, you know. <laughs> well, look, Harriet, when, when Andrew Cuomo was first elected, when I was working yeah. somewhere else, I said out I remember. loud, I said, look, Andrew Cuomo is completely happy with a Democrat, uh, Democratic-dominated assembly and a Republican majority in the state. He's got no problems with that. 
I held my nose and I voted for him on the working families line. Oh, you did? Now, yeah. that's, that's interesting because uh, the Working Families Party was portrayed as the big losers in this last election. We'll, sh- we'll see. Uh, I, I mean, we'll see. I, you know, I have a lot of respect for the Working Families Party, Dan Cantor and them. And, and I remember when Letitia James first got elected to the council. I okay. remember, too. And she was on the Working Families uh, Party line. And, and I think she's been true to that party ever since, even though she's won election as a Democrat more recently. Yeah. Uh, but did they did they do something wrong this time around or something? I mean, I know that they got pushed yeah. down on the... What did what they do? They, well, yeah, I know what they did. They, uh, they, they sold out they, Zephyr Teachout is what they did. <laughs> Sorry. No, what they did was that they made a deal with Andrew Cuomo. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and in they, the process, sold out Zephyr Teachout. Not only that, but they sold out the Democrats that they had. Uh, but in the process, um, Cuomo sold them out and a promise to help Democratic candidates win, to win and to make the Senate Democratic. But now, uh, Harriet, look, Cuomo said that. I don't know whether he believed it at the time he said it or not. It's not the way things turned out. Jeff Klein, you may remember this, the head of the the, uh, Independent uh, Democratic Conference, he swore up and down he would be working with Democrats and would caucus with Democrats. You see him doing it? Now, not so much. He's gone back on it. And, you know, uh, uh, Oliver Coppell, who ran against him and lost, is looking at him now and saying, see, I told you this is what this man would do. And I imagine John Lewis saying the same thing about... Um, Tony Avella. Yes. Who has said he's staying with the IDC as well. I don't understand not- what Diane Savino is doing there. I mean, I know she has a relationship with Jeff Klein, but Diane Savino yes. is a relatively progressive person, and I don't see the IDC positions as being particularly favorable to her. Um, be that as it may... Um, you notice that the weather's been pretty lousy lately. I don't know. I've been in Colorado. It was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because the sun has been clouded over by the forces of darkness. You think so? Yes. Harry, you're Absolutely. not really worried about that. You're not really worried about the forces of darkness, are you? I sure am. Let me tell you something. And I said this back in 2004, 10 years ago now, when John Kerry got beat. See, my thing is, you don't spend a lot of time blaming. You don't spend a lot of time moping. You get up, you dust yourself off, and you get ready for the next election. Remember, there's another election coming in two years, Harriet. Yes. Remember 1994? The same thing happened. Same thing happened. Remember what happened in 2006? Yes. Okay. Things can change very easily from 2004 to 2006. But that means, do you remember Joe Hill? Joe Hill? Name sounds familiar. Yeah. The copper bosses killed him. The what? The copper bosses killed him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was a union organizer. Yes. And what he said was, don't mourn. Organize. Organize. Yeah. And it's true. Because you can't, you know, uh, the longer you sit stewing, stewing in your own juices or whatever, the easier it is for the people who oppose you to consolidate their power while you will end up with nothing. You know, I I still, Harry, for the life of me, can't figure out what people were so angry about that they made these changes. But they made them. And apparently they're all legal. I don't know that there's, I mean, there may have been some some uh, uh, voter suppression in some places. But right now, nobody's talking about that. So my no. thing is, okay, we got a... Uh, people sat home. Well, yeah, a lot of it was a 32%, I think, of the eligible electorate voted, which is, is, yes. is sad and shameful. And, and see, the thing, I was reading something earlier uh, about, you know, people uh, proposing bills to make it easier for people to vote. And I'm thinking to yes. myself, like, yo, for what? <laughs> nobody's going. Nobody's yeah. voting. And, well, and, I did. Oh, I know you did. And so did I. 
But it, 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 there is a cynicism in the country, Harriet. And the yes. cynicism is based largely on the influence and power of money. All right? And um, somewhat. Yeah, it is. People but look at apathy. all of these different people. Well, the apathy, I think, is born uh, from the notion that there are certain people in this society who, you know, can pick up the phone and get the call, call a senator or call a congressman, and get their calls returned. And yeah. ordinary people would... You know, regular, you know, ordinary concerns. I don't like to call them ordinary, but they want, you know, they want health care. They want their kids to get a good education, those sorts yes. of things. They get ignored because the people with the dough are the ones that end up getting heard and getting their concerns. I'm more to it than that. What's the, what's the other part? Now, well, the tabloidization. Oh, well, that, that's part of it. Let me tell you something. You want to know how bad the tabloidization of this country is? I know. The, the, the newspapers in this town, and I, you know, one of these days I have to talk to Harry Siegel about this at length. They have made, they have given up space that should be covering serious issues. And I don't care whether you're a progressive, conservative, or whatever, but serious issues. Instead, they got pictures of Kim Kardashian's butt. Yeah. Who cares? And I don't care. No, you may not, but apparently every time they show her or some part of her anatomy, they sell papers. Listen, I got to go. I, I got to. Okay. I didn't realize what time it was. But Harriet, it's well, always yeah, great to talk with you. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Bye. Take care. Have a good one. Uh, now, here's something I don't understand, and then we're going to get to, to the ridiculous because we don't have much time. Republicans are looking to stymie Loretta Lynch's appointment. As attorney general. Now, I have to be very careful here because I have family who work in Loretta Lynch's current office. So I don't want it to seem as though I, I've never met the woman myself, but I know of her and I know of her work. And, uh, you know, the idea that Republicans are going to try and stop her and, and impose a delay on her confirmation vote, like uh, Ted Cruz and Mike Lee are talking about, because... They want to deal with President Obama's immigration plans. So they're going to stymie the appointment of, of an attorney general based on their opposition to what, to what the president wants to do about immigration? That's crazy. I think that's crazy. But Jason... You ain't heard nothing yet. You want to hear something really crazy? And I saw the video of this, so I know it's true. There was a Domino's pizza manager in Michigan, right? Apparently, uh, an irate customer comes to the store. She had called, and apparently the guy hung up on her a couple times. I don't know what the deal was. Uh, but this guy, uh, when the woman uh, didn't get any satisfaction when going to the store... Uh, asked for the, for the manager's supervisor's name. He refused to give it out and called her, quoting here, an effing retard. He said, and I saw this, my supervisor's name is Go F Yourself. Get the F out of here. Whoa, what publicity for Domino's Pizza. The customer's name is Brandy Averill, and her family got the wrong order. Uh, she got pizza with light sauce instead of white sauce and apparently this guy chris somebody or another hung up on the sun so she showed up and uh <laughs> the guy called, when when he called her a retard she said and i'm quoting here excuse me i'm not the one in the pizza outfit when i'm 40 years old so don't be calling me a retard <laughs> his name was uh chris bernier uh, suffice to say, they blew him out. That, in other words, they fired him. Just desserts. I must. What happened to the customers? At least always half right or half, right half the time. I don't know. It's beyond me. But what's not beyond me is the clock on the wall. It's about time to get out of here. Jason Taubenfeld, as always, man, thank you so much. We're going to be back. And thank you all so much for listening. We're going to be back next Wednesday evening. 6 o'clock Eastern Time. It'll be dark out, but it'll be warm in here for the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. Thank you all so much for listening. Have yourselves a great rest of the evening and a better week ahead. <laughs>